BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Talking a lot about college athletics and focusing a lot on football. I want to pivot to the other football. Uh, Nick Carlin Voigt in the University of Portland Pilots men's soccer team. They were fantastic last season. It was like the best season in like three decades uh, at Merlot Field. It was um, uh, a home record that was... Uh, what do you got? Bells going off in the background there? I'm outside the chapel and the bells are going. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> On the top of the hour. We're getting... I'm just walking. I'm oh. walking out. But yeah, I'm right outside campus. It's the uh, start of the school year and Orientation is happening for all the new freshmen. So I love those are that. Our, our beautiful uh, bells that are reminding us at the top of the hour. That's good. We're fine with that. We can do that. We'll roll with it. <laughs> hey, so so I was just talking about the home record last season, like undefeated at home. You guys were fantastic there, and you know you, you're going to try to keep that going tonight. You got Sacramento State tonight at seven o'clock for people who want to go to Merlot Field. Next Friday night, you see Santa Barbara at home. So the next two Fridays, you got big games. But give me an idea of what you know why you guys were so tough. You think at, at home last year. I think we, we definitely established a Merlot magic environment, right, where we had a real exciting brand of, of, of soccer on display. We were the fourth nation's, you know, leading goal scorer uh, team in, in the country, and um, we played on the front foot. You know, it was exciting. We scored 51 goals last year and, you know, able to send three players to Major League Soccer. And um, I think it's a brand of soccer that's exciting. There's individual talent. But it's also we, we share the ball and, you know, we play a positional game model where I think, you know, we very much believe in, in entertainment, right, where people are going to come and watch us play. We, we have to put on a show. We have to entertain them. We want to be exciting. And, you know, we want to definitely be a team that uh, represents the, the values of the city. And, and I think those guys both on the field and then in the community and the summer camp programs that we run were really great role models for to the local young players, and, and they identify with those guys and got behind them. And, you know, they got to see guys like Brandon Cambridge, who, you know, now in Major League Soccer scoring multiple goals, and, and, and guys like Benji Michelle in the past who are, who are playing and, you know, play with a full national team. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a great place, one, to watch a college soccer game and, and from a fan perspective. And then, two, uh, as a player, you know, we, we have a European environment where we have drums and chants and flags and, uh, it feels very much like it, it's a destination for soccer, which, you know, helped us have uh, an undefeated season at home last year. Give me an idea, because I've watched your recruiting classes, and, you know, you're in there recruiting against the best of the best nationally and not surprised that you're having the success, uh, you know, as you did last season. But uh, how have you managed to kind of increase the recruiting profile over the years? Well, I think it's selling a vision and having a blueprint for individual player development, right? So a lot of young men, they want to get to professional soccer. And guys like Dylan Pierre, Ray Ortiz, or Chris Reeves, um, we feel like we can be a, a platform for them to spring on to the next level. And that we feel like we can we can help them develop, not just as a soccer player, but as, as a student athlete, as a human being. You know, I'm very much big believer my parents raising as the power of education and you know as, as, a, as a coach we're just an extension of, of, of teaching and learning and um, we're able to to help improve right and I think that is 
what excites me so much is, is a group of guys who all have a common goal and then letting them have team success and then therefore when you have team success is individual success. So recruiting is, is the lifeblood of, of any program, any university. You know, you need to continue to have talent, but then also you need to continue to develop that talent. And, you know, a couple of people asked, asked me last year, like, where Brandon Cambridge transferred from? And you know, he, he was with us for, for two years prior. He just didn't put up the numbers. You know, and he had one goal in the in the shortened COVID season, and then he had one goal in 2021. And, you know, he then went to 13 goals and seven assists. Kermit Sanga, similar, like tripled his production. So it does take some time to, to develop these young men, but I think when you create a culture of excellence and you create a, a culture where there's high standards and, you know, we're open in, in, in our brand of football. Like, we, we commit a lot of numbers forward. We want to score goals. We want to be on the front foot. We want to play a progressive uh, brand where we're in control and we're trying to dominate the game. I think when people come and, and we have, uh, you know, another nice crop of recruits already committed, but when they come and watch us play or, you know, they see our clips on social media, they see uh, something that's exciting and they want to be part of it. And I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, this is a game. And, you know, we want to excite recruits with the way that we play and a very up-tempo, high-press, kind of uh, relentless in-your-face mentality of football. And I think that part is exciting for, for top individual players. I think also our results against, you know, quote-unquote, the Power 5 schools, which now you can maybe say is the Power 2, but, you know, we were able to beat Oregon State in the second round of playoffs and, we were able to beat UCLA three times in a row. And so I think when you start getting those results against, you know, quote-unquote, the big schools, um, then it's an argument that, hey, you know, this is, a, this is a, a destination for soccer. There is no American football. We're in Soccer City, USA. We have one of the best grass fields in the country. Uh, we have a fan base. We have a rich history that, that Clive Charles and, and Bill Irwin and these incredible young alumni and, and older alumni have come before us have, have helped create. And then our obligation, you know, collectively from a coaching staff to current players is, is to leave a legacy and then to leave the program better than we found it and, and to continue to, to honor those who, who built this place. And, and our job, I think, is just to keep, you know, trying to add years to, to that legacy and, and to try to accomplish things that hadn't been done before. Nick Carlin Voigt, University of Portland men's soccer coach, is our guest. Uh, you mentioned the Power Five. got to ask you, like, what do you make of what's going on nationally uh, in college athletics, and do you feel insulated from that, given that you're in, you know, a conference that isn't football-driven, or do you just focus on the day-to-day? Like, you know, what do you see happening on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, there's two, two parts to that question. It, it's a great question, John. I mean, I think the here and now is we got to get this team ready for this season, right, and, and filling in some holes that we had from guys who went pro early or you know, guys we signed who, who never showed up because they, they went pro um, but I, I think from an Olympic sports perspective, regardless of gender, I, I don't know how these moves are, are great. You know, like if, if you sign up to, to play beach volleyball and you're at Corvallis, like I don't know how going to Rutgers for a beach volleyball match is like a, a, a great thing for the student-athlete experience. I know this is all TV revenue-driven and um, big conference-driven, but... You know, I worked in the Pac-12 for five years, and to see that conference, you know, really the conference of champions just disappear, you know, essentially, you know, almost overnight, you know, I, I never would have guessed that uh, UCLA would be in the Big Ten, and then a little bit later Washington and Oregon would be in the Big Ten. So, you know, Pac-12 for men's soccer has, has kind of been the bedrock of, of anchoring the West Coast, and um 
I think it comes back to just controlling what you can control, and that's way above my pay grade. I don't have any control over conference realignment. The one thing we know about the world and one thing that's, that's constant is change, and we have to be nimble and, and ready to adopt. And, you know, I, I think they're going to go through this model and 10 years going to say, okay, this doesn't make any sense to send uh, – our baseball team from Oregon all the way to Maryland to play yeah. to, to play a baseball game. So I think at some point there'll, there'll be realignment back the other way, hopefully for Olympic sports, because we have so many good partners and so many strong programs here that, you know, Portland should be playing Washington and, and, and Oregon should be playing Oregon State in football. And, you know, Oregon State's women's team should play Oregon's women's team. Like, these are just natural rivalries where, um, you know, you start to worry about the fabric of college athletics and why we got into it. It's not because of, you know, TV revenue deals and uh, name, image, and likeness deals. And, you know, it's really for the student-athlete experience. And, and for football, when they play, I think Chip Kelly said this really well the other day, they, they only play one game a week. You know, and they have, what, 12, 13 games, and they can afford to fly charter. But, you know, for the non-revenue sports who really, if you look at the Pac-12, like <laughs> – the non-revenue sports have won the majority of the national championships at UCLA or USC. Um, let, let's not disrupt something that's working really well just, just for the revenue sports. And so I think uh, hopefully cooler heads will prevail and um, at some point they'll do things that make sense for the student-athletes because at the end of the day that's what this is all about. Like we coach for the student-athletes and, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of kids pick a college because they want their parents to come watch them play and now if they're in a, a bi-coastal conference, you know, the parents aren't able to fly to the East Coast just for one game. So it, it, it's scary times. I think things are changing fast, but, uh, you know, that's all down the road. And in the short term, you know, our league is really strong and, and our scheduling has been really strong and we'll continue to control what we can control. I kind of think that the WCC could benefit from some of this. To get, and I, it's anecdotal, but I, I was in a hotel in Seattle when UCLA's men's soccer team was playing Washington last season, and I talked to some of the UCLA players, and they were like, hey, it's not going to affect us. They were graduating, or you know, they had you know, one more year of eligibility, but they were like, I can't imagine you know, taking a scholarship at UCLA and then, like you said, going to play a, a Big Ten schedule, and their parents can't see them play. And they, they're like, what about the West Coast? And I even talked to a women's soccer uh, recruit in her family that, you know, they were on a visit to Oregon State, and they said, hey, we're just going to pump the brakes here. We're going to see what happens because their kid has some offers in the WCC. And I kind of think your conference is doing it in a Olympic sport spirit, you know, and I think you you might benefit a little bit off that, even though it's not for the greater good. Yeah, I think think we're positioned well. You know, I think... uh... You know, you look on the men's side, there's, there's been, you know, multiple programs in our conference who, who've been to a college cup and, you know, have won a national championship on both the men's and the women's side. And, you know, our women's team has won two national championships. Our men's team has been to three elite, elite eights, and uh, we've been to two college cups. And, you know, I think it just continues to reinforce that UP is a destination. And um, the part I do worry about, John, is the scheduling. You know, can, can UCLA have not been here for a regular season game? Uh, until last fall and, and probably 20 years. And, you know, are these schools now going to travel? Are the big schools now going to travel to the Portlands where maybe from an RPI perspective or their own league schedule, you know, they don't want to take on more travel. So just the equity and scheduling, I think, you know, you worry about a little bit. But, 
we'll see what happens. Uh, it's not easy to get good opponents here. It's not easy to continue. You know, we've had Syracuse in the, in, in the Merlot field. We, we've had Michigan State. We've had UCLA. I think we'll always keep good relationships with, with Washington and Oregon State, our, our, our Pacific Northwest uh, counterparts who, who, who do a great job. But, you know, getting these, you know, Indiana used to, for example, travel and play games here. And, you know, a lot of these teams in the ACC and the Big Ten, they just sit at home and they're not incentivized to travel, which I think, you know, is, is part of the fun experience of, of college athletics is seeing a different part of the country. And, and I know uh, for me as a student athlete, that was such a great experience when you can, you know, see places you've never been through the lens of sport. University of Portland men's soccer coach Nick Carlin Voigt with us. Um, you know, I was looking at your roster and, you know, you've got – academy players all over it but isaac homer is a, a Port, portland native and you've got uh you know kid like jacob mcdaniel who's at liberty high school and you've got west lynn kid jacob babali i mean are we doing a good job in our in our backyard of developing soccer players we're trying i think um you know for so long you soccer was pretty consistent, right? And then U.S. soccer got involved, and the acronyms have changed, and the leagues have changed, and now there's an MLS Next Pro team. And so there's so many more options now for, for top players. I remember recruiting, you know, Rubio Rubin from from Portland to UCLA, you know, seven, eight years ago. We had Marco Farfan committed, and, you know, the Timbers ended up signing him. He's gone on to have a great career. And, you know, I, I was proud of our group last year. You know, we had... Uh, eight four-year American players in, in our starting 11 and two Oregonians, right? You had Nick Denley from FC Portland, the, the, the club that Clive had built, and uh, we had Jacob Babalai, who um, was our leading goal scorer in the tournament, walked on here, came from Westland. Neither of them played with the Portland Timbers Academy for different reasons. So, you know, development for men's soccer uh, goes in so many different ways. I think we always want to look inside out first. We always want to look in our own backyard, get Isaac Homer, Jacob McDaniels, uh, Jacob Babalai's, and, and try to recruit kids who maybe grew up coming to Merlot Field, maybe were a ball boy here, came to the soccer camp when they were young. Like, that might mean a little bit more when they have Portland across their chest, you know, but I think at the end of the day, um, from all of like the legendary players, the Heath Pierce's, the Henry Pinos, the Casey Kellers, a lot of, you know, our top players have been from outside of Portland and we need to have a mix and a blend and we need to be nimble in terms of recruiting that maybe we can go into the, the, the grad transfer portal and get a Cypriot goalie like we had in George last year who, who was a two-year captain or, you know, find a grad transfer from Seton Hall like C.J. Kibling from Sweden where, you know, the game is so global and I think our recruiting has to match that and we have to be very, very global as well. But what I love to have uh, as many top Oregonian players as possible, yeah, the Timbers Academy and uh, the Timbers 2 are doing a really nice job of, of developing some young players. There are some really good younger players coming up through the area, and you know we want to try to keep them home and, and play on Merlot Field. Regular season opener at home, Sacramento State. Uh, you can get tickets at portlandpilots.com. Uh, Coach, thank you for joining us. We love having you on. I don't want to just bring you on, you know, when you're in the NCAA tournament and, you know, when it's the obvious time. But let's keep touch uh, during the season. And, and as you keep this going, maybe highlight some of the big games that you have at Merlot Field and uh, beyond. You've got Oregon State, I think, in October. 
Coming to Merlot. Yeah, that was that will be a great rematch. That's always a great rivalry game. They have uh, a new coach in Greg Dalton who's doing a really good job, and they're a great program. But you know, I just want to again thank all the fans out there listening for coming out and supporting uh, UP men's soccer. There's not a better place in the country to watch college soccer than Merlot Field. So we, we hope to see you, and we can't do it without you. Go Pilots. Coach, thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Really interesting uh, comments and perspective from Nick Carlin Voigt. I mean, again, he's he's at an, he's coaching an Olympic sport, and we're going to watch Pac-12 teams, and not only do the Pac-12 teams, we're going to see the Big Ten teams that have to travel from Big Ten country to game to play games in Seattle and to play games in Eugene, and I think the stress of that, in in addition to the teams that are going to go play in Los Angeles, will be will definitely have an impact and be something to kind of track as as uh, the Big Ten Conference and these schools all play each other. But I think it was just fantastic to get his perspective on sort of, um, you know, the, the the view from the WCC. And I think it's an interesting place for that conference to be in, given that, you know, you've got Gonzaga in basketball, you have the University of Portland teams in soccer and in baseball that, that have been largely successful. Um, you, you know, you've got some athletes who are on the West Coast who want to play in the Pacific time zone, who want their parents to be able to see the games, in particular if they're playing Olympic sports that aren't, you know, widely televised. And so I do think you have some, uh, I think it'll be interesting to track whether or not the move to the Big Ten Conference harms the Olympic sports in the Pac-12 footprint. Does it cause those sports to have a more difficult time to recruit? Is the beneficiary ultimately a program like the University of Portland? Regardless of that, Nick Carlin Voigt and his team uh, were lights out last season. They had uh, an undefeated home record. They play a, uh, a very in- entertaining style. They go deep into the NCAA tournament, knock out Oregon State, which had been a perennial power in that conference and in the in the NCAA bracket uh, under Boss, the coach there. But uh, now he's off to the MLS, and um, you've got um, you know a, a roster here at the University of Portland that is poised to make some noise this season. And I don't want to be that radio show that comes in the 11th hour when they are enjoying a run in the NCAA tournament and for the first time has the coach on. So I really appreciate Nick Carlin Voigt making some time for us and joining us and, and really talking about things outside of the soccer itself. As exciting as the season is, exci- as, as much as he wants you to come out to Merlot Field tonight and check out that game at 7 o'clock, um, as cool as that is, I'm as interested in just hearing what he sees from his vantage point, being a guy who was an assistant coach at UCLA, who has now moved over to the University of Portland. And by the way, now he's recruiting against UCLA. I just am fascinated by the dynamic that has been fostered and created by all this movement. And again, like, you know, you you know where I stand on this stuff. Like, change is inevitable. It's sure. It's like you might as well try to hold back the tide, right? Uh, All of that. Money's going to drive all these decisions. That's cool. But I also think there's got to be some common sense and some logic buried in it. Chip Kelly spitting truth with his comments about, you know, why are we doing this? Why not just separate football? You've got a number of coaches who have come out and talked about it at length. It just makes no damn sense to have these teams dragging student athletes, uses air quotes, student athletes across the country. It's like Jordan Acker, the University of Michigan Regent, said on the show earlier this week. These are employees. When you start asking uh, uh, an athlete to get on a plane and travel across the country to play in a game that creates revenue for your for your university, that's, by definition, that's an athlete. That's a J-O-B. That's a job. So it's just kind of silly to see all this kind of play out in a way that we all know lacks common sense. 
Nick Carlin Voigt can see it. I can see it. You can see it. Chip Kelly can see it. Chris Hill, the athletic director at Utah, can see it. You better be sure that the presidents and chancellors can see it. They just have their eyes closed because they don't want to see it because they want the revenue. All right, leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth statewide on a happy Friday.